Working Fans Podcast. Cool. Yep. All right, here we go. Coming down three, two. For another week of the Working Fans Podcast, this is AJ, I'm the former wrestler, we've got Dave the Ultimate Fan here with us, as we do every week, our producer Joe may, likes to make us sound good and makes us look way more professional than we actually are. As always, you can find us on Twitter, that's at FansWorking, Facebook, Working Fans Pod, we've got email where you can reach out to us and please contact us to let us know what you think of the podcast, and for any ideas that you might have, that's workingfanswrestlingpod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram, where you can keep up with us at workingfanswrestling underscore pod. And then you can now listen to us on all major platforms, including anchor.fm, we're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, and you can actually check us out on YouTube. Now, it's important when you go onto the Apple Podcasts and YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, let us know what you think so you can help us out, and we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans. Have you ever wondered what happened to Lance Von Erich? Find out in his new book, Lance by Chance, Wrestling as a Von Erich. You'll also read stories about Chris Adams, Ric Flair, June Hernandez, and Billy Jack Haynes. And of course, the Von Erich family themselves. Get your copy today at LanceByChance.com. All right, everybody. It's the Working Fan Podcast with the man they call Dave. And today we got a former sports writer, stand-up comedian for about five years, Mr. Mike Peters. And we're going to talk about his journey. Mike, how you doing, man? Do well, man. Thanks for having me. Ah, no problem. So you were a sports writer for a little bit. I was. Did, yes. Did you enjoy that? Or was it one of those things where, you know, like it kind of ran its course? Or what, you know, what was the transition? I loved it. It obviously depended on where I was doing it and, you know, for which paper I was writing and which editor I had. But I think from college to, yeah, about 12 years, including college, I was a sports okay. writer. So uh, I did a lot of high school bunch of college and a little bit of pro sports too uh in uh, Pennsylvania. Well, i started in new york but didn't spend much time in new york but mostly in pennsylvania and then about eight years in maryland so okay. it was a lot of fun were you from the maryland area or no i'm from binghamton new york where i live now yeah. and then i went to school at mansfield pennsylvania so like a, a, you know worked at a newspaper for three years there and then went to lock cave in pennsylvania a little bit further south of there more central then i moved to around the Baltimore area. It's a town called Essex. And then yep. was there at the Baltimore Examiner for about a year and then spent about six years at the Annapolis Capitol. So okay. I got to know Maryland pretty well. Okay. The only thing I know about Maryland, supposedly there's a great seafood restaurant out there, Jimmy's Famous Seafood. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot There's a lot of great seafood restaurants out there. I've, I've never heard, been to Jimmy's. Yeah. I've been to, my favorite was Mike's Restaurant in Annapolis. And it's mostly because I, you know, remember the name of it. It's really easy. <laughs> and then there's a really good Italian place. It's called Amici's in Baltimore. Those are mm. my, and there's, a, uh, I think it's GNB. I think GNB crab cakes, something like that. They had great crab cakes there. It's in like the Glen Burnie area, which is uh, between Baltimore and Annapolis. And dude, every, I mean, every few blocks, it's like, like up in New York, anywhere in New York, you got good pizza. Maryland's got great seafood. Awesome. I was, I'm a foodie, so I always like to get those yeah, stories yeah. in there. Yeah, when you go to Maryland, you have to have crab cakes. I mean, I think that's the thing. Uh, blue crab, my, my ex-girlfriend taught me how to eat blue crab there, and it's so good. 
So I, I whenever I'm down there, I have to get something like that. Now I saw you. So you were in a, you know, taking classes for broadcast journalism as well, kind of all yeah. connected a little bit. Do you feel like a lot of stuff helps you with stand up? Yeah, a little bit. I think certainly the writing aspect does. Uh, it helps you is like with transitions and kind of forming the, the the part that trips me up every once in a while is that I have become like a grammar Nazi and I really just, I just like the rules, like, uh, like the prepositions go inside and the sentences. And then when you do stand up, a lot of times when you speak how you're taught, how, how you talk to write and speak correctly, you alienate yourself from the audience. So mm -hmm. it's like, oh, this guy's an elitist snob. So you have to kind of work your way into not writing that way or speaking that way. But yeah. as far as, you know, you know, if you have a story that's kind of long and you and you say, okay, well, I need to condense this, that editing is a really, I mean, you don't, you don't get so attached to your own words because when you write like a 600 word story and it needs to be 500, you are constantly cutting to get down to that level. So when you're doing standup and you, you know, you've got a, you've got seven minutes worth of material and you got a five minute set, then, okay, well, you just, you kind of, uh, you're a little heartless when you, when it comes to your material, it's like, okay, well, that cat joke's not going to work. Just get rid of that. That's the weak one and reshuffle it. And, and then when you form the set, you transition well. So it helps, me helps you memorize everything. Yeah. And, you know, I think any set, any story, you need a, a strong lead, you know, a strong opening joke. And then you got to have a middle and an end. You always want to end, str end strongly too. And that's how I, I wrote like a column or any article I wrote. I wanted to, you've got to get the reader attached. So right away right. you have a strong lead. So, you know, I mean, nobody's got an attention span anymore, but so you, you hook them and then, you know, you throw in the, the everything in the middle. And then it's like a, it's like a really good song at the end of an album. Like you want to end with a good quote or, or line. So they're like, oh, that Mike Peters, I, I like his articles. I'm going to read the next time. So that definitely helps when I do stand up. So much about storytelling. We do a uh, pro wrestling podcast too. And I was talking to some oh, of yeah? the guys and it's like, when you build the perfect pro wrestling card, because essentially they're telling stories, yeah. you start off with like a really hot match in the beginning. And then you try to have these little even flows up and down, but then you try to finish strong too. It always seems yeah. like that's the ticket, no matter what form of entertainment or you know uh, show you're putting on. It's like start strong, finish strong, and try to kind of have a nice you know pace yeah, in the middle I, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I I was a radio DJ at college for three years, and every you know, I there were songs that I wanted to play, but I wanted to know before I went in there what my first song was going to be and what my last song was going to be. It was for me, it's always like, you know, putting together a mixtape, you mm -hmm. know, uh, I'm, that, I'm that old to where I actually made mixtapes and uh, I should stop saying that. But I mean, that's that's really it. it's like like because you you want, you know, uh, uh, I, I one of my favorite bands to listen to now is a band called RX Bandits. And like they've got a really good it's called The Resignation, their album, and it starts so strong and ends stronger. And it's like as soon as you hear that last song, you're like, OK, one more time. Let's go it again. And that's that's how I like to write everything. I mean, not, I mean, some of my jokes don't go over as well as I want every time, but it's like, okay, well, at least my opening and my closing jokes are, you know, you're going to remember who I am. Now, obviously, you know, you just sort of had you always, did you always love stand up? Like, was it always something that you kind of had in the back of your mind or how did that come about? Yeah, I, I can't remember exactly when I saw stand up for the first time. Like, like I remember 
probably one of the first guys I saw was Gallagher. I mean, I think okay. I think for kids in the eighties and and you know who mm-hmm. were watching the TV in the nineties without any supervision, we all remember Gallagher. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously Bill Cosby, but Gallagher was on Comedy Central, which was relatively new at that point. And I loved watching him. I can't remember a whole lot of his material anymore, but anytime there was stand up, I would watch it. And then when I got to about well seventh grade, I think I think Seinfeld had uh, I'm telling I'm telling you for the last time, and then Roll with the New from Chris Rock that came out, and Sandler with What the sure. Hell Happened to Me, and uh, they're all gonna laugh at you. Like I was really into those guys, and then Carlin. For me, I don't remember exactly when I heard Carlin for the first time, but I do know that we would recite his bits all through high school and we'd have them memorized. And it was kind of a game like, okay, well, what, what joke do you remember from this one? So I don't know who exactly wanted, you know, made me want to get on stage, but it was always in the back of my mind. But, you know, you don't know how to do it. And right. my dad was a teacher. My mom was a teacher. It's like they weren't going to say, hey, go, go do stand up and don't get a pension. So, cause that's, right. that's not how you do anything. So yeah, I just, but I, I got into journalism in college and like, we didn't have, I went to small school in Mansfield. We didn't have like a, a standup scene. I remember one mm. woman was there trying to do stand up, and that was it. I mean, and like in hindsight, I, I wish, you know, I, I would have placated her story so I could, you know, get on stage with her or, or you know, follow her around a little bit, but instead she just wanted to hit on my girlfriend. So you know how that works. <laughs> so Hey, she had a better better shot than I did, I guess. But hey. I, uh, no, I all about I just, networking. Uh, oh, yeah, exactly. Only I knew. But uh, yeah, so so you know, I didn't I didn't get started until I was like thirty three. I didn't start writing material until I was thirty two. So there's a ten year gap where where I really I just was like, okay, well, I work a second shift job, and you know, I was in Baltimore, and with all the opportunities, you know, in hindsight, I didn't do anything. So I was right yeah. around D.C., right around Baltimore. And it wasn't until I got back to New York in 2016 that I really got on, that I had the itch and I got on stage in that July. And right away, I mean, I got, I got, I hadn't missed a week. You know, we only had one week, weekly mic. And then, you know, I found places in Syracuse and Ithaca and Utica and Scranton. And, and I just became addicted to it. And that's kind of my personality. So and it wasn't, too, it wasn't long un- until I started getting on shows and then, running shows and, you know, doing everything. So yeah, it's, it, I, I wish, I wish I had said, okay, well, I had that itch in ninth grade. How do I do it? But just didn't, I was too dumb, you know? Yeah, I know. I understand completely. The older we get, this realize we're just I know. most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> we're just, um, we're just kind of hoping that we, we, we can be smart a little bit. Yeah, just stumble upon something here. <laughs> yeah, How, like was it? An, it, it sounds like you were just immediately right into it. So, did you ever have any like issues with bombing on stage? Where you're like, okay, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. like like to now, like today, like okay. I mean, it just I don't I don't think it's ever going to stop. I I think it, it becomes less frequently, uh, right. for sure. But I think I always say that the first the first set I ever did, my grandpa died the week before and i gave his eulogy the day mm. that i gave that i that i gave my first open mic the day that i did my first open mic so i really used some of the material at the Whoa. eulogy at the open mic like i was pretty much trying out my jokes That's you awesome. know, around family and and uh, people my grandpa knew mm-hmm. so i was like all right that's my practice shot so my first set went all right 
Uh, my second set went really well. And my third set bombed hard. Mm. And, you know, back then you're like, okay, well, you're, you're kind of mixed with like, like a mix of adrenaline and delusion. So I didn't really know, you know, but I'm like, okay, I need to go and do better because I know I can do better. And at that point I knew I was hooked. And right. I would say like, you know, if I could, if I could be the journalist and say, okay, well, well, just observe my, me and my first two or three years. I don't know how many sets would have gone well or how many sets I was lying to myself. But now, like, I, you know, you get on runs where it's like, okay, well, I haven't had a bad set in like a month or two months or three months or whatever it was. But yeah, I mean, you know, I try to, I try so much new out that, I mean, if it hits 50% of the time, I'm really happy. And mm-hmm. you just kind of like tell yourself that, oh, 100% of the stuff isn't going to work. Like, you know it. And yeah. you just, uh, <clears throat> I don't know. You, you tell yourself anything you can to not cry. <laughs> like, I mean, it's like you just you just don't want to feel bad. You right. Say, okay, well, I, I suck. I shouldn't be there. But, but yeah, I mean, you said had a great attitude about it. Like you were immediately ready to like, okay, how do I get better at this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think yeah. There, there. I don't remember a time where I really, truly was like, I'm going to give up. I'm not going to do it. Right. Like there, I've certainly had bad sets and I, and I questioned whether or not I should do it, but mm. at no point was, I was like, nah, I'm never, I'm never going back. I'm going to take this week off. I, you know, I just, I, I get, I get very pot committed in, in anything I do. So if I say, okay, well, Hey, my mom and dad knew I was doing stand up, And for a little, little while I hid that as soon as they found mm. out, I was like, I oh, can't go back now. I already told them I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'll be like poor and 60, but if they're still alive, I'm still going to be doing stand up. Like, it's just, I'm stubborn. Now, let me ask you, let's devil's advocate, you know, the flip side here a little bit. Obviously, you said you wish you started younger, but would yeah. you say on the flip side, are you probably more emotionally as you know, we are older? Like, okay, I'm a little more secure in myself to handle the rejection now of a bombing. Oh, like yeah. Maybe at like yeah. 22, right? <laughs> yeah, I remember because I came up in, in Binghamton where there's like, I think initially I was like the fifth oldest person doing standup at like 33. So we had, you know, a couple people in, I think they were in their fifties and then like uh, a couple teachers who were like, you know, late thirties, early forties. But yeah, I think uh, when I started, I would see kids on stage and they were like 26 or whatever, but to me, they're kids, but you know, they're still talking about, you know, college and I like I look I still talk about college now but like you know they were in community college they were doing something they they were struggling to find work you know out, out of college and and I remember I got on stage and I told a story about how I got stabbed in Baltimore and that was after like you know hey this is this happened here something whatever I you know lost this job whatever it was and I remember one guy came over to me and he goes man you have really lived a life <laughs> and I was like yeah, like a part of me was hurt because I'm like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm six years older than you, seven years older than you. But like, yeah, you know, he was right. Like, yeah. like I, I think me starting at 33, I mean, forget about, you know, being mentally ready or whatever, but I had so much more material to right. you know, dig from that, that you're like, I, I probably, you know, extended my, or at least delayed the writer's block that I would eventually hit. By a little bit so i could feel like i had more momentum and oh like i could talk about how i got rejected from this college or how my lesbian girlfriend mm. is now pregnant and like like all these weird things happen to me and I'm like okay well as a 24 year old as a 28 year old that stuff hadn't happened yet so 
you know, uh, a lot of it. So I don't know. It, yeah, I, I think I think I started when I was supposed to start, but you always re regret like those 10 or 12 years that like, cause you hear stories about Dave Chappelle being dropped off by his mom, you know, right. at the comedy club when he was like 15. It's like, had, had I started at 15, who knows where I'd be, you know, maybe, right. maybe I'd be selling cars somewhere. I have no idea, but yeah. 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 It's just nice to dream about that stuff. But yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, at 16, I wouldn't be emotionally ready for it for sure. I, yeah. I was barely emotionally ready to like tie my shoes in public. <laughs> I think it's uh those are the exceptions that are ruled though, right? I mean, I'm not even just saying like Dave Chappelle, those people that are prodigies that are so poised at that age. Yeah. And, like if you can be that poised in front of a room full of people at 14, 15, I think there's a certain amount of ignorance that almost helps you too. Like almost you don't know how bad, you know, how embarrassing the situation can be. So you almost have that going for you too, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Too. I do th I do think though, like if you're if you're Chappelle, I think being a comedian if I had a 15 year old, like I run an open mic here in, in Binghamton. And like, if I saw a 15 year old coming up, I'd be happy. He's here. I would root like hell internally that he fails mm. because I don't want the 15 year old doing better than the 38 year old. You mm. know, like, mm. like I don't want that, but I want him to do well enough to come back. And you know, that the audience will likely be rooting for the kid. And right. they should, because to have the balls to do that at 15 and 16 and the knowledge of how to write a joke and whatever, I would be incredibly jealous, but I'm very competitive and yeah. I, I want to be better than I don't, I never want to lose a spot to somebody else. And, you know, I have all the respect and, but it's got a, a healthy mix of jealousy with it. Like, sure. so I'm, I'm a very, very flawed person, which is why I do stand up. Yeah, that's very understandable. I appreciate that honesty, man. Now, would you say, because uh, I've talked to a few comedians on here before, and one of the big things is finding your voice. Do you feel like you've at that point now, or are you still looking for that? What do you think? I don't know, which probably means I'm still looking for it. But, right. you know, I when I started, I was a storyteller, and I still am, but, like, I, I was a storyteller who told jokes without punchlines, which doesn't usually work. So you, you tend to need to punchline to make some people laugh. I was trying to like, I, I'm a huge Birbiglia fan and I'm like, okay, well, Mike Birbiglia can sell a joke with inflection. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but I didn't realize that Mike Birbiglia had like 15 years of material behind him right. and a, a, a fans who know his every move and his past characters that he can call his wife, Jen Clo, and that gets a laugh. Like I can talk about my buddy Jeff and nobody gives a shit because nobody cares about Jeff. Like right. I barely care about Jeff, but like, you know, they don't care. So then I, I switched doing one liners and it was great because it taught me how to write a punchline. Like, like Dimitri Martin cannot go on stage and tell a one liner without a punchline and get a laugh. You know, I I've seen him do, do a set before and 12 people in this, 12 people in this arena understood the joke. I mean, I've seen him fail. So right. the one liner comedians are, they got to write tightly. And so what I did was I took some of those one-liners or the chops and, you know, uh, and, and the material and expanded them into stories. And then that taught me how to do it. So I don't know if I've got my voice yet. I I'm very self-deprecating. I, I don't like to, I don't like to, you know, talk maliciously about people. I, I like, like if I talk about, you know, I, this is the third time, but like, if I talk about my lesbian ex-girlfriend, I want to be the punchline in that. Like it right. is, it is my, it is on me. I helped 
I helped push her in that direction. Like I want credit for giving the lesbian community a very <laughs> attractive candidate. Like I, but when I don't get invited to the conception of her kid or the wedding or whatever, like I helped, what are you doing? Like, mm. like I, I'm the victim here. So, but I want to be the punchline of that. I don't want anybody to walk away from a set of mine saying, wow, that guy's an asshole. So I, I think if, in that regard, I think I've, I've, I've at least almost found it. So mm -hmm. I don't know. They, they say like it takes seven, 10 years to find your voice. If that's the case, then, you know, I'm still a few years away, but I don't know. I feel comfortable with what I'm doing and I'm in a good groove. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. Hopefully I know when I find it. Right. You have a lot, any other projects going on? You said you own an open mic too. Is there other stuff you're working on promotion and stuff too, or? Yeah, I, I run an open mic. It's in Endicott, New York. It's a smaller place around Binghamton area. And that, that runs every Tuesday at uh, 7, a place called Kelly's. I do a podcast on the mic with Mike Peters that I'm really proud about. I've been doing that for, God, I think I got it right before the pandemic started. So I got okay. I, I got it. I, I'm not I'm not the cliche, you know, uh, mm -hmm. but I, I've been doing that. I've got like I interview comedians. It's a, it's a one on one thing. And, and I pretty much what you asked me, I pretty much asked them, you know, their story, how they got into it, where they expect to go, what their worst set was, things like that. And uh, I, I talked to I, man, I'm trying to get everybody in every state not everybody in every state. I don't know if I can ever do that, but it's a weekly podcast. I've got, I've got comedians from, you know, at least recorded in 16 different States. I'm trying to get all 50 and I'm really happy with it. And it's, it's people who have been on, you know, Colbert and nice. clubs all over the country and LA wherever. And it's, it's been a whole lot of fun. It's called on the mic with Mike Peters. It's very easy to remember. And I got episodes coming out every Friday and, I'm like, I mean, you know how it works, the podcast, but I, yeah. I'm I'm able to bank that bank the episodes. And, you know, I've got 14 of them banked and I'm just, you know, I can't get enough of recording these. So uh, it's a whole lot of fun. And then I do a uh, every other week I do a comedy show on Zoom right now. It's on the on the Zoom comedy show. It's basically everybody who's been on my podcast. I bring them back and three different I host them. But every couple of weeks three new comedians will come on and perform. So it's people from like, you know, California, Texas, Oregon, Massachusetts. So it's all over the place. So it's a lot of fun. And then after that, you know, when everything opens up again, I used to run shows in 14 venues across New York. So I'm pretty busy, but yeah, you know, I have to be busy. Uh, Cause you know, when you start out in comedy at 33, you've got a lot of time to make up for. So right. that's like kind of what I'm doing. So Zoom, it's interesting too because I've asked people about this too. Uh, so you've done the virtual comedy as well, then? Yeah, yeah. And how, more challenging for you, or how's that? I've gotten yeah. both responses. So. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's it's weird. Uh, the the reason I hedge on that is because it's not more challenging when you get used to it. Okay. It's actually easier. I think it's more convenient. It is. I don't prefer it, but it's not hard. I mean. The hardest part when we started was getting people to actually do it. And that's still the, that's still the case. I mean, we've been doing this for a year and, you know, I, booking this, this comedy show that I do every couple of weeks, I've got, you know, I've got a pool of 80 comedians to choose from to do this. Mm. And I'm trying not to repeat guests, but there's still people who I've had as a guest before who refuse to do online comedy. Mm. And it's like, well, at a certain point you have to adapt or just not do it. And right. thankfully, we're opening up again, so those people can get back on stage in the traditional sense. But what they're what Zoom has given me is that, you know, because I'm you know 
for whatever. I'm capitalizing on apathy, but like I'm a focal point of a comedy scene. So I felt like I always had to be active. Otherwise, you know, my business that I started, you know, what, a year before the pandemic started, if that, that, you know, it would have been sunk. So I had to keep writing. I had to keep producing. I had to keep, you know, put it on a, an open mic when we could. And, you know, so I kept writing and I, I've had, you know, I've been working on material every week for our weekly mic. And then I've been doing others across the country and I've been able to network so much better now with Zoom and just, just Displaced Comedians is a site that I go off of too. And, you know, just the, with the podcast, I mean, I only, before everything hit, I, I had comedians from Pennsylvania and New York. That's it. <clears throat> and now, you know, tomorrow I'm interviewing somebody from Chicago. Right. Next next week I'll have somebody from Connecticut and then Montana. And I'm not doing that without virtual stuff. And the tech, it's it's forced us, the pandemic has forced us to, to you know, adapt to technology. And, mm -hmm. you know, <clears throat> as a guy who... You know, insisted. I used to drive to Albany, two and a half hours. I used to drive two and a half hours to Rochester to interview people. Drive back, do all the editing. I mean, one episode, one hour long episode used to take me about 10 hours of drive time of whatever. And now, you know, I cut that in half easily because I don't need to drive anywhere. So, right. you know, it, it's really, it's forced <laughs> me to adapt. And I think it's good. I think it's a good thing. And if people can get on board with Zoom, that's great. I don't think it's going to last. I mean, I don't think it's going to go away entirely right but it's certainly going to be something where okay well here's a writing workshop okay I'll, I'll keep my zoom account you know because i'll get i'll get use out of it but man without it without the virtual stuff i'd have been sunk i mean yeah. I, I i i mean i would have certainly watched everything on netflix for sure <laughs> you know and i would have had a lot more free time but that's not what the world needed no not that the yeah. world ne not that the world needs more content for me certainly but I mean, at least my, my psyche needed it. I know what you mean. I, 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 we were so busy. Me and the two guys that run this. Yeah. Um, my uh, business, besides doing podcasts, and I own a, a business where I deliver bread, which was super busy in the pandemic because oh, I was yeah, yeah. buying bread. And then I'm like doing the podcast, and suddenly everybody's available for interviews now. It's like, oh, okay, yep. <laughs> you know. And uh, we started the comedy uh, podcast a couple months ago, and now we're busy with that, and we're getting. But it's crazy because it's like. You're right. You got to almost stay busy and it's almost just like learning new tools, I guess, you yep. know, learning something else to do and just being more versatile. I guess it's going to be helpful. And, and if, I guess for a comedian too, you're getting reps in too, right? Oh yeah. Without doubt. Like, like I'll, I'll write a joke here and let's say I have a, a really good one-liner that I, I love and, you know, or a short joke, whatever it is. And it gets, it gets good play, you know, on this online mic. Okay. Well, oh, I got to test it out on another one. Like you get like kind of this rush. So you try it out in two or three Zoom rooms. Then you go, and I'm fortunate enough, I don't know if they're just not paying attention to us, but I've been able to do a, an open mic live since July. So, and we've been inside. The outdoors one was fine. Like, nobody cared about that one. Uh, the indoors one I was worried about. We've been indoors since, like, November. And it's been great. You know, we, we've done all the, taken all the precautions or whatever. And, and I always say, like, uh, there is no more socially distanced event than an open mic comedy night so you know it's, it's the comedians and a few of their friends and maybe the guy who had nothing else to watch at a bar right. but so it's but those jokes like 
like I'll work them out on Zoom and then I come into the live, you know, in-person open mic or show and it's like, oh my God, like they, it looks like I've already worked out all the kinks and right. it, it's made me look like a much better comedian than I really am because, you know, I've got, I've got three sets in before I go to that open mic. And whereas everybody else there, you know, for the most part, they're not doing the Zoom stuff. So I look better at them, not because of talent, but because, okay, well, it's, you know, just a little bit of work ethic. And, okay, well, that joke sucked. Like, like they will never see the first draft of that joke. Put those reps in. <laughs> yeah. All right. Before I'm going to have you uh, give your social media and everything to plug, we do a little thing. We don't do interviews on this podcast. We call the 531. Or basically, it's a top five. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we have a couple of top five subjects coming up. So I figured I'd just throw them to you. It's kind of something new I'm doing with guests. These are the upcoming subjects. They're pretty easy. It's, uh, well, if you liked them when you were a kid, top five favorite sitcoms. Okay. And then also your top five favorite sitcom themes, if they differ. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I give, I give this a lot of thought. The only problem is my top five is going to be different next week. Oh, yeah. I, I, I can never, I can never keep that straight. Yeah. Uh, I grew up one. in the, I grew up in the nineties, really. Like, I mean, I was, yeah. you know, 83 and, you know, I love eighties and nineties sitcoms. I just can't get enough of them. Uh, I go to sleep every night watching dinosaurs right now. So like <laughs> awesome. when I'm done with dinosaurs, I'll probably start <coughs> Boy Meets World again or Seinfeld, mm-hmm, like, something from that era. I, and I just went through Punky Brewster, okay, the entire thing. So, ah, uh, man, I would say top five all time sitcoms. Uh, Boy Meets World, I think is number one because it's okay. just a very, very good sitcom. The cast all, all the way around. Seinfeld is number right. two. <clears throat> it's classic. Wow. Saved by the Bell for sentimental reasons. Oh, I saw a picture with uh, AC Slater on. Uh, yeah, yeah, I interviewed him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I interviewed him at Clarion University. Uh, yeah, lied my way to get there, but I got it. He signed. <laughs> I have an autographed Mets hat in my office by nice. AC Slater. Nobody else has that. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So okay. So that's, now Save is the Simpson yeah. is the Simpsons yeah, a sitcom? Work. I've already got some people who threw Simpsons in there. I'm accepting that. So we're getting yeah. that <laughs> Man, I would say, jeez. Oh, I, I have to go It's Always Sunny yeah, as five. Awesome yeah. I mean, like, I, I have three cats. They're, they're Sweet D, Dennis, and Mac. I figure, like, if I don't include that. But, like, man, my honorable mentions. And next week, like I said, they'll be different. I love The Office. I love Scrubs. Uh, yeah. You know, just Scrubs is great. so many. I'm a huge Full House fan. I'm just like, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a sap. But yeah, I would say my top five includes eight or nine of them. Yeah. So I'm it's, a little it's, older. They rotate. Yeah. I was born in 76. So I was like, yeah. a little more to eight. The 90s was good too. I just found out the other day, I was watching uh, WandaVision and I found out that um, Wanda was actually the younger sister of the Olsen twins. I was like, wait, oh, yeah. what? Yeah. I had no idea. Mary Kate and Ashley. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. I, I I hated I hated Michelle Tanner. Just absolutely, there is like a an uncontrollable fire of hate for Michelle Tanner, mm-hmm. and uh, just Elizabeth Olsen is great. I love her. <laughs> I she is, but if she could go back in time and be Michelle, I might like her more. I just didn't like, don't like him. I'm a middle a child. <laughs> I'm a I'm a middle child. So like, I always related with Stephanie, and yeah. when Michelle came around and. Started talking, getting all the opening credits. Ah, oh, that was it for me. Didn't like her. Now, I won't push it. I'm just curious. Do you have a top five favorite themes, too? Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. 
I don't know. I I I do love Save by the Bell's theme. I think it's great. Yeah. I think yeah. Uh, that was my alarm for a long time because you can you can't get mad. Like when your regular alarm goes off, you're like, ah, shit, not again. When the Save by the Bell alarm goes off, you can't help but smile. That's fun. Yeah. I do like that. You know what I really like? Uh, I don't know if it's top. I, let's throw it on the top five because I think it's great. I love Doogie Howser's theme. Oh yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah go yeah, back yeah, and listen. Yeah. To it. It's like uh, yeah. I think Mike Post wrote it. Mm-hmm. And he did. He does all the sound for uh, Law and Order SVU, and yep. like, dude's probably major millionaire just from doing <laughs> that. I, I like another one. Good one is Growing Pains. Growing Perfect. Pains is a very good theme. Yeah, it's really Show good. Show me that smile. <laughs> it's good, look. and they. Yeah. It, it's it, it's one of those ones where you don't fast forward through it. Uh, mm-hmm. Doogie Howser for me is the same thing. Yeah, because Growing Pains wasn't on my list. I love the show. But it yeah. wasn't on my list. But the theme made my list because I thought so good. Yeah, it's just one. Yeah, it just sticks in. Um, there. Yeah. You know what? And I don't know if this is on there or not. But another one, kind of like Doogie Howser for me, was um, King of the Hills theme. Okay. And yeah. I used to always like. Uh, maybe it's why like I had braces and everything. But like I always used to play it with. I'm like 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 clack my teeth with it. Nice. Uh, with the theme, I like that one a lot. I don't know if that's on my list though. Uh, God, Full House is a fun one. Yep, you know it's 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 ti- it's timeless. Maybe a little before uh, your time, a buddy of mine. We always just say we used to like Perfect Strangers as a theme song. Perfect Strangers, a, good one. Yeah, it's a good one. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. I <laughs> Alf is fun, but Alf, yes. I don't know if I would put it up there. I, I I think I think if you if you take like a show like The Wonder Years, I think it's cheating because like mm. you have Jim Croce. Like, yes, it's not. I don't think that's fair. That's a legit song. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, The Simpsons is great. Yeah. The Simpsons is really, really fun. So I would go with that one. I don't know if I had five in there, but but I, w- I would go with The Simpsons on that one. I think you, you yeah. named off five. Yeah, so we're good. <laughs> I'm sure I named off five. And, uh, you definitely did. <laughs> yeah. So, but no, I, I, I do. That's a good question. And I'm glad I didn't have to think about it. Like that's, that's yeah, a good that's one. kind of what that's, we try to do here. We try to come up with yeah. topics. Like some weeks we don't have interviews. Like, all right, what's a top five list? Boom, here we yeah. go. <laughs> so, all right, yeah, hit people up with a uh, social media or anything else you want to promote. Floor's yours. Yeah, again, like the the thing I definitely want to promote is the the podcast on the Michael Mike Peters. Like, if if you like learning about local comedians, I mean, maybe they're not local to you, but they're all pretty much under the same uh, build. I, my podcast on the Michael Mike Peters comes out every Friday. New episode. It's always a different comedian. I don't know when I'm going to have repeat guests if I do, but I've got right now I've got 85 people interviewed and in the can ready to go. So I'm really happy with how that's going. And then my Instagram is I had sex with Mike Peters. So because somebody has to somebody has to admit it and I'm happy to do it. And then uh, (laughs) Twitter is uh, at the Mike B. Peters, the Mike B. Peters. And uh, yeah, Facebook is just, I got Mike Peters comedian on Facebook, but uh, yeah, it's uh, and then I don't know where I, I'm probably other places, but I forget. But yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it. All right, my man. Well, hey, thanks for doing the show. We appreciate you on the Working Pants Podcast, man. Maybe we'll have you back sometime, nope. dude. I love it. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And- All right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google Podcasts, 
Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week.